Matthew chapter 2. And Paul is going to uh, kind of show what faithfulness looks like. Paul was a faithful teacher. And uh, of course the Thessalonians were great examples of how God worked in them. And then we see how God uses people to bring certain people to where they're at in their walk in the Lord. And so... And God still does that today. He not only used Paul and some of the apostles and some of the ones that were around him, but for 2,000 years, he's, uh, God has been doing that, hasn't He? Still does it today. So He uses people to bring people to the lost, and He uses people to nurture those babes in Christ. And uh, these were babes in Christ, uh, just a few weeks old, and uh, of course they had come a long time. So Thessalonica was a place where people were born through faithful preaching, and um, they were nurtured. The church was nurtured um, through faithful pastoring. Uh, Paul gave that to that infant church. And that helped them to stand strong because they had a had quite the time of persecution themselves. They were ready. Uh, Paul gave them the, a very good um, foundation to stand on. And uh, he just reminded them of the kind of ministry that uh, one is to have as they teach and, and they care for uh, the church, and uh, that's what we get out of the Thessalonians. But you get a, another glimpse of, of Paul here. We're going to hear again about Paul talking about himself. <laughs> you know, we see that in Second Corinthians a lot. Well, here in Thessalonians, here in this particular chapter, this part of it, we see him talking about himself. But he's he's not really into bragging about himself. But sometimes he has to show, okay, this is what the Lord has done in doing this. So he talks about his ministry and uh, what's happened there. Uh, and and you think about what is required of a, of a pastor or a spiritual leader, somebody like uh, a Paul. And it's immense responsibility to uh, come and preach the gospel for uh, the conversion of uh, unbelieving and ungodly sinners. You know, it starts there, and then to gather the converts into um, assembly and uh, order the churches for a worship of God, and then to teach the congregation by expounding faithfully and and staying in the Word of God clearly and powerfully. You know, Paul did all this. This is the way it's supposed to work in a local church. And then to stand between the people and God, mediating uh, as, a, as an intercessor would, as a, as a priest did in the Old Testament. Hey guys, how we do? And so, you know, he, he did uh, a lot of stuff. But this is, this is what leadership in a, in a church does, a spiritual leader. Uh, pastors do this. And then, then bringing them to the ordinances, and uh, whether it be baptism, Lord's Supper, uh, for people to renew their uh, covenant of obedience and also to, con- to confess their sins. And then to oversee the church, um, strengthening the weak, the ones who constantly need to be strengthened up, uh, trained, uh, appointing uh, teachers or helping them be teachers and discover their gifts. And then the difficulties that people go through and turning them away from uh, their sins or their fears or their anxieties. And then leading them away from heresies. Constantly Paul had to do that whether it be in Corinth or Thessalonica or everywhere he went, because where there is truth, there's also going to be error. So that has to be uh, watched out for. And that's why he stresses so much a healthy, whole, sound doctrine 
all the time. And there He is. We see Him as a tender shepherd with the people and making sure that their needs are supplied. And then on top of all that, as it says in Hebrews 13.17, those leaders, those pastors will give an account. Uh, And that's why in James it says, let there not be many teachers. There's a greater condemnation. So it's quite the uh, challenge for uh, leaders, spiritual leaders, pastors, that kind of thing. And that's why uh, we, we see here in what Paul did, not only in Thessalonica, but all the other places that he was at. Uh, we could go to dozens of different passages and sort out some of the same kind of realities that uh, we discover here in this, in this chapter 2. Uh, he, his writings again and again repeat some of the same things, but I think it's really wonderfully done here, connecting in a brief order uh, in this second chapter of Thessalonians. And, of course, what I'm titling it is, this is what faithfulness looks like. And we'll be using a picture of a steward and a picture of a mother. And that's kind of how Paul is showing himself here. And later on in Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll see uh, a picture of a brother and a picture of a father. So it's a whole, a whole family type uh, illustration that, uh, that he uses. Anyway, um, before we uh, get started in the passage, let's go ahead and have a word with the Lord as we make sure we get uh, help from the Holy Spirit tonight trying to understand another passage. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are a great God. And thank you for the example that you have given of the shepherd Paul. Not only was he an apostle, but he also shepherded the people. And what a heart he had for him. And at times he definitely had uh, his struggles and he had to defend his apostleship and uh, persecution that came his way. And, the, and caring for the church was at the... Um, at the height of what it was, whether it be bringing people to Christ or whether it be uh, leading them into the depth of your great word. Help us to understand some of the depth that's here tonight that uh, we can uh, see how it works in our own lives. Understanding you, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul's a steward. Paul was definitely a steward because a steward is one who... uh, Gets possessions of from the master that he can use for the welfare of the master, and uh, he, as a servant, as a slave, as a steward, he uh, really didn't own anything, but he did uh, possess, in a in a sense, what the master had him to use. Everything that belongs to the master, whatever he has you to use, um, that that uh, steward is promote the master's welfare. And every steward will always give an account of his stewardship back to the master. And so this is really the view that Paul has. He knows that his ministry is to please his Lord, to please his master. And as a result of that, people come to Christ, people build up in Christ, and uh, everything goes real smooth, right? (laughs) Right? Remember, 
Thessalonians, remember Philippi. That's kind of why I keep kind of going over some of those little videos. Kind of, it does kind of help us get a glimpse. Oh, this, this, that's right. This is real. Where did he come from? Right? Where was he last at? So we look at the faithful steward. I think a good passage to look at is found in First Corinthians. And if you see an outline that shows Second Corinthians four, I'm sorry, I've been working in Second Corinthians so much, my fingers just want to take me and write down a two there, no matter if it's a one. But uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, first couple of verses give us a really good view of a steward. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Verse 2, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So a, a servant must be trustworthy. One who is faithful. And that's how we get our title here tonight. What faithfulness looks like. It's faithfulness in action of a servant, as a, of a steward. Um, matter of fact, Paul often would use the idea of uh, the servant here that you have as one that was an under-rower. The under-rower was the third-level galley slave. Those were the rowers at the bottom of that ship, and it was hard work all the way through. They, I mean, there are servants that serve in the king's palace and such. This is the servant who is the under rower. Um, this is about as hard a work as anybody could have. And in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul uses that word for um, the word steward. So that's kind of uh, who Paul was, wasn't he? And he was all the way through his ministry. So let's look at the manner of his ministry. He starts off, For you yourselves know. And you'll get that quite a bit here in this chapter and on through. You know. You know. You know. You experienced that. You saw this. You saw what, what happened. Just look back at your experience. Chapter 1, where we finished off uh, last week. Uh, think about the things that God has done with you and you are known throughout all of this area and all throughout um, the known world. It was getting around. Uh, his defense that he is giving on the ministry that God has given him is also uh, witnessed by the Thessalonians. matter of fact, in chapter 1, uh, it says in verse 8, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, northern, southern Greece, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. It had been trumpeted out. It was blasted out as he had said uh, in a previous verse. And so um, their testimony uh, gives a, a defense of his own defense that he gives. He calls them to reach back and because they know about him. They know how this all went and how it started. That's, and that's what he starts off with in chapter 2, verse 1, after he has given their good example. Uh, he, he shows how, how it happened and what, how God used him, and he was faithful in doing that. Anyway, um, he says, he calls them brethren, for you yourselves know brethren, brothers in Christ, that our coming to you was not in vain. I guess not. 
if the news has gotten out all over the place, all over the the whole area and over and beyond, it was not useless at all, was it? And he uses the word in vain. It's not in vain. The word there is kenos, and that means to be useless. It means to be empty. It means to be fruitless, uh, futile, no purpose. Well, he uses the negative to that. He says it wasn't empty. It wasn't useless. It wasn't unfruitful. It did matter, didn't it? And uh, the, the character and the impact, the effect. And that's why you, you look back at chapter 1 and it's all backed up right there. You can look at the lives. Lives that were changed. That's incredible. Um, we, we think about verse 2 now. After, But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you, what? Know. You know. As you know. You know we suffered in Philippi. That was the, that was the place that he came from. And remember in our video, from Philippi to Thessalonica, he was ran out of town. He had been jailed. Uh, quite the persecution. Uh, they were arrested. Um, they were mistreated. Sentenced without a trial. He's a Roman citizen. That should have never happened. Uh, there was no justice, absolute abuse put on him. Um, matter of fact, why don't we go back there to Acts chapter 16, kind of refresh ourselves of what was happening there in Philippi before he came to Thessalonica. Chapter uh, 16, 19, well, we'll take it up 19 through 24. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them. Now you got a crowd rising up against already the officials who have taken effect. And the chief magistrates tore the robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison. And we got a picture. Hey, Avel, how we doing? We, we got a picture of what that prison was about that was like a hole in the ground, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So that's some of the stuff that's going on there. Uh, that's just some of the persecution. And uh, you can see whenever he mentions here in 2 verse 2, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, suffered, mistreated, uh, we have to think about Paul. He was the one who was who suffered more than any other person that you'll find in the New Testament except for Christ. There's nobody that suffered like Paul and as often as he did. But he became powerful. Became powerful because of that. God's power is perfected in weakness. And when you when you think about the way that things had happened to him, it is incredible that he would be able to live through some of this. But the word mistreatment there it means to treat shamefully. Remember they, they took him took those guys and dragged them. 
Can you imagine being dragged on, on the ground as they were? How humiliating. That's an absolute insult. Should never have happened to a Roman citizen. That Those kind of things didn't happen. But they did here. And it, it's it's an outrageous treatment. That's the idea of mistreatment. Uh, it, it's, it's meant to bring on insult, total humiliation, uh, degradation to them, uh, public mockery. And of course, that's what happened to Christ, a whole public mockery, right? Physical pain, physical abuse, and it was heaped on their Paul in Philippi. He says, uh, you know about that. Matter of fact, I'm sure a lot of the uh, bruises and the wounds were still fresh as they arrived in Philippi. That was still a pretty good walk from uh, Philippi to Thessalonica. Uh, when I said Philippi there, I meant Thessalonica as it came from Philippi. Um, and here's here's what he did at the end of verse 2 as they were mistreated in Philippi. As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. This is what you find fascinating. Boldly proclaim the gospel. He doesn't say, huh, we learned our lesson down there. I'm not going to do that again we do the gospel, we're going to be real quiet about it and we're just going to get like a one or two people and go over here in a corner. <laughs> if we do that at all, you know, it, this is you know, this is too much. Or, or when this happened, we started altering the gospel a little bit. Changing a little bit maybe of the things that would maybe affect the people too much. You know, how the gospel is kind of offensive sometimes. <laughs> causes stumbling blocks. Um, anyway, we decided not to be bold again. Can you imagine if Paul would have said that? But instead, he says, we had the boldness in our God. After this suffering and mistreating, we had the boldness to preach this Gospel. The Gospel of God. And notice he's, he amplifies his Gospel this time here with of God. This is God's Gospel. In fact, that's a whole story. That The Bible is the Gospel. Um, yeah, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's that's the heart, the midpoint of it. But the whole story, the whole line of the Bible is gospel. It is good news. It's all the truth of that. And so if Paul was allowed to stay long enough, he'd be able to preach the whole counsel of God. But he did it boldly. But um, I was going to say that it's, it's it looks like Luke stayed behind. Right, because Luke has been writing in the uh, third person this whole time, right. and then he kind of stops at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. And chapter uh, seventeen already starts with now when they had passed through. So and and that's the way that Luke usually does. He'll say we when he's with them, and he'll say they later. And so did he leave after? Philippi, or or maybe he stayed there. We we don't know. Um, definitely, you know that he picks up on it, and then later on you'll you'll see the way. Matter of fact, let's let's read there. Um, it's weird because he starts on verse sixteen as 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 we were going, but then only Paul and Silas are dragged, unless. Luke isn't including himself, and he was also be them. 
Yeah, in verse thirty-two, and they and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all. You know, I mean, but you no, know, I think that's very legitimate. That's usually how your your commentators will will read that. So, and he, I think it's very clear. We don't know exactly what the, I mean. Was was Luke chicken? I don't think so. You know, but something came up, or he, he did. But he'll pick up with them again somewhere on the line, as does Timothy or. Um, whether it be like a Silas or some of the other guys that he traveled with, they're with him for a while and it might be some other group with him, but he's usually with somebody too. It's not just Paul alone, is it? Uh, he ministers together with a lot. So as you were in Acts 17, I put 1 Thessalonians chapter 17. If you're looking for that, uh, you won't find it. <laughs> that book only has four chapters. Uh, evidently, I was... Uh, a little bit up late. I don't know. <laughs> late, huh? Boy. That's it's Acts. It's Acts 17. That's that's exactly where Alan was at there. Um, pick it up, verse one. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Of course, that's where they first check into. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Yay! That's what we like. We like to hear that. Along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading Women, Isn't that amazing? But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. Sounds familiar. When they didn't find them, they began dragging, there it goes again, Jason and some brethren before the city authorities shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. Upset the world. You have to like that. That almost kind of goes along with uh, a previous reading that we had. Um, Everywhere they go, they're upsetting the world. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And then when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Uh, then he went on to minister at Berea. So there we, we get the sense of what was happening. That's that's Thessalonica. Um, preaches the gospel, and he said it was amid much opposition there, back to Thessalonians 2, right at the end of verse 2, amid much opposition. Um, amid, the word is agon. Agony. Agony. Amid much agony. And it's actually used in sports at that time. It's an athletic term. If one worked out, they would be in agony. <laughs> Our English is kind of derived from that word. Um, anyway, if you look in the idea of a, a it's an idea of a struggle or a contest, agon. Here so he uses that that athletic term, especially the Greeks would have used. You look in first Corinthians oh chapter nine verse 
24. See Paul operate there, and he uses this kind of thought of, of um, sports there. Because, the, you know, you think of the Greeks, the Greek games, the Olympics. This is definitely the heart of that area. So he, he appeals to something that they would understand. And, of course, we saw um, in, in that video where there, was a, there had been a gym. You know, and, of course, gyms were real big at that time. And, of course, you have, uh, I guess, was, you know, the planet fitnesses and, and the Y and that kind of thing, I guess. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So that is definitely... The thought there, running and boxing and uh, the whole idea of the athletic thing. So he disciplined himself spiritually uh, just like they disciplined themselves as they uh, would work out for their their games, uh, what have you, in the gym. So it was a word definitely used a lot. That's out of Corinthians. You'll see it in in other places. Philippians 3. 13 and 14, again, in the area that would definitely understand it. So it's good to use uh, something that people can identify with, to, to go with. And, you know, Paul gets on that level in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that the statement people use a lot to say that they can lose their salvation? Yeah, they sure do. And he's talking about being disqualified. If you ran out of your lane, for instance, or you did something that was against the rules, you'd be disqualified from the contest. Well, and of course, if if we just take that verse alone, it could almost it could almost mean that, couldn't it? But what he's saying is, and and in the thought and the idea and the context and the, with so many other scriptures, is because. If we don't discipline ourselves, if we don't stay within the realm of uh, you know the um, the gospel and and that's living that out, preaching it out, um, having having right doctrine, then what it can do is it can disqualify us. Or let's say uh, he just got out of almost like got out of the race, and now no longer is he not effective to the people, but um, you know he's he's blown his witness, and that would be the idea of being disqualified. It doesn't say anything about losing salvation there, but yes, people do use that, and uh, many of the denominations would certainly use that right there, as well as Book of Hebrews and many other places. But we have to look at the other verses and balance those. Agonizing experience in Thessalonica, wasn't it? Agon agonizing um, confronted people with the gospel it was a death struggle it was a death struggle ministry that's what it was uh, the message of his ministry is found in uh, chapter 2 verse 3 here for our exhortation coming alongside there does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit 
kind of a trinity of words that are used in the in the negative sense: error, impurity, deceit. Ours didn't come that way, so it's the opposite of what error is. What's the opposite of error? Truth. Um, did Paul always preach the truth? Well, absolutely. He was a steward. He knew who he was accountable to. He had the truth. It all came from God, and uh, so that was that was the message uh, of ministry. And uh, the word there that uh, deals with error is ekplanes, ekplanes, or we get our word planet from which means to wander, it means to roam. Of course, that's the way that the, the planets were, were first seen as, and they're, they're in kind of roaming out there. They're, um, the way that they revolve uh, might be elliptical, might be that you see them and now you don't see it. Certain planets we see, like uh, let's say Venus, uh, right? Or, or Mars. Anyway, uh, not an error, not wandering, not roaming. He taught the truth, never taught any error. He was a faithful guardian of the truth. The guardian of the treasure of the truth. So that, you know, his, his message of ministry is truth. His motive is that um, he was to be preaching the truth. It's truth, always. That's his motive. Uh, the word for impurity is... I'll take the positive word of it first. Catharsis. Catharsis means to clean, to clean out. Acatharsis, ah being the negative, mean, would mean not clean or impure. And we know that he was doctrinally pure. We know that that particular word uh, deals uh, a lot of the times in the New Testament dealing with there was a sexual uncleanness. And so it, it was all part of the deceit of the religions that were there. They had all these temples and the temple prostitutes that they prided themselves in with all the sexual perversions. And never did he have that uh, as, as part of his teaching or part of his actions. Um, so the, the deceit... Uh, also is in there in that third uh, word that's used. Uh, and it's a word that is to be used for trapping. Trapping game, animals. To trap a rabbit. I hear tell Carolyn saw the, oh, guess what? We now have rabbits wandering around in our, in our garden courtyard area. As well as squirrels and uh, chipmunks. We are uh, more in the wilderness in town than we ever had out in Taos, out in the country. So I'm thinking about setting up some kind of a trap to deceive those as they wander in there and then I'll take them off somewhere and let them go to a, a better habitat. So my idea is to deceive them. It also means to fish. Same thing, isn't it? Uh, a decoy. And that's the idea of deceit. That's what the false teachers would have. Uh, of course, their religions had sorcery, had trickery, and magic juggling theatrics uh, to gain a convert, whatever it took. Money and all sorts of favors. And of course, Paul says, our exhortation 
our coming alongside, our desiring for you to have this truth of the gospel of God never had error. It never had uh, this impurity that uh, the the temples uh, would have had and uh, deception, deceiving. Uh, They were entrusted with the gospel as it says in verse 4, but just as we have been appointed by God to be entrusted with the gospel, it says gospel again, uh, approved by God. That's what my version has. Uh, they were not only appointed, but they were they were approved. And the word there for approved actually is dakimazo. Anybody want to venture on what that is? Probably heard it many times. Dakimazo. It's dealing with test. Um, to show that something is real. So God intru- uh, 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 approved them or tested them to approve that they were worthy after testing. That's that's kind of the idea. Um, so they were approved by God. They were entrusted. God trusted them. And if you're a steward, you are to be faithful, right? Entrusted. That means you trust somebody or you trust them because they are faithful. Of course, God is the one who made Paul and those other guys faithful. As all God's work, Paul would always give him glory on that. Um, it's interesting, right at the end there, or I guess in the middle of this verse, uh, not as pleasing men, but God. Not as pleasing men. Sometimes um, teachers, preachers want to uh, be known by people, and so therefore and anybody can do this, is flattery. To say something about somebody because they want to hear that and it's saying something that's kind of untrue. It's not talking about, hey, we shouldn't encourage people. We're talking about just flattery with the motive of inflating somebody's ego so that you could gain an interest from them. And it was really to gain power over the people, to gain uh, uh, their own promotion to gain, whether it be money, uh, particular favors, whatever it is. So that's what uh, they would do. Um, And some guys were really doing that, and they were being very successful. So that's kind of the thought as um, we speak the the gospel of God. It's not as pleasing men, but it's God who examines our hearts. There's there's no greed in this also. and that really wasn't his motive. It, uh, it definitely was never for money. As he moves on in verse 5, whenever came with flattering speech, there is your idea of the gaining interest or power over the people, uh, flattering them. Um, as you know, you'll notice there in 5, again he says, you know, nor with a pretext for greed. He didn't come in, come in asking uh, for money and that's really was not his motive, even though as an apostle he had every right uh, to to take it. But uh, usually Paul didn't when he was in need. There might be somebody take up an offering. Of course, you have to think of the Thessalonians did help him out, and we see that in in sections. But that really was not his whole idea behind this. Matter of fact, it's not for the glory of us but it's for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 
I guess that's really always the motive, isn't it? 10.31 Whatever then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. No matter what it is, you're doing it for His glory. It can be something that is just so simple as your everyday things that you do. You eat, you drink, wash the dishes, or put on your clothes, or <laughs> give God the glory, right? <laughs> there you go. Hey, as long as you got gave God glory, got even cleaning the house, right? And that just and that doesn't seem like. How can you give God glory in that? A lot of ways. It's amazing that He provided a place that we'd have. Amazing that He had provided us a carpet so that we could have something there. That He would give us a some a sweeper. <laughs> that He'd give us a strength to be able to push that slinker. We've got a guy who cleans our church, and when he's up there back to back in the sanctuary, he's dancing and he's got one hand in the air and he's singing and praising God at the top of his lungs and. It's like you don't ever want to see him stop. He's doing it. You can do my house. And he does it to the glory of God. That sounds like a guy I used to know. Yeah, he uh, he cleaned places for a living. And so he was really kind of like a janitor. That's yeah. really what he was. And uh, he was just happy about that. You know that uh, he got to do what he did, and he said one of these days. He says, "says one of these days, I'll be a glorified janitor." <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Talking about Wally there. Yeah. That's right. Just to, just to get theirs. First uh, Thessalonians two twelve. Um, there he's, and he, this is the same chapter that we're in in chapter 2. And he's just been talking about it as a father would be to his own children. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. It's about His glory, isn't it? About His kingdom. So that's, of course... That's just in our little chapter there. So much about the glory of God. But that's that's the whole idea of what Paul did. What was the method of his ministry? What was the Word of God with the Holy Spirit and His power and Paul's trusting in God that He would work in those people? So it's the Word, it's the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and God working in those individuals. Look back in chapter one; it's exactly what happened, and that was that was his method, just using the word of God, using the word of God, preaching it, teaching it. Uh, the second part, uh, and actually, it's in verse seven and eight. In 6, he said, Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. And like he did have the rights. It's not like he's a special human or a superhuman or super apostle or anything, but as an apostle in that office that he had, there was a certain authority that was given as, as he preached the Word. It's not the authority in himself, but it's the authority because of the Word of God that he is... Uh, preaching 
and uh, he didn't assert that authority to uh, abuse it. Boy, people with authority can really overuse authority, can't they? Have you ever seen somebody authority happy happen? Authority happy, and they—I mean—they over abuse it, and then we see a disaster. So he had a balance there, and he tells him that. But um, the next section, it kind of tells a little bit more about him too. He's talking about the apostleship, and then he gives this humbling picture of a gentle mother. So there he, he ends with the apostle thing. Even though as apostles, we are like nursing mothers. It says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Not only was it gospel of God that was delivered, but it was their lives that was delivered there too. As um, he was willing to give up his life there. He could have, you know, coming from Philippi, you've got those guys coming from the same area. They're on the they're on the chase. And so those could be the same guys and, and as they get up other guys against them, he knows it, it could be more dangerous here in Thessalonica than it could have been in Philippi. Because you still have the same enemy as they're gathering up more. And yet, there it is. And that's why he ends up with that saying that uh, he was willing to give up his own life. Uh, we give you the gospel. We get our lives. But we give you everything. We give you our ourselves. Um, anyway, like a loving mother, we didn't come to you as some kind of a charlatan, some kind of a fraud. We didn't come to you as a, as a daycare uh, child uh, child watcher. We didn't come from the nursery that they get their they do their their hours and they watch the kid and and then that's it. But this is where you know he's always there and available. We proved to be literally we became gentle among you. Gentleness uh, it's nepios it means to be mild it means to be kind it means to be patient. These are babies. And I'm sure that they probably acted like baby Christians. You get, you know, they're all excited and everything, but at the same time, you know, uh, they, you know, newfounded Christians, you know, get get pretty zealous. Um, they they need to be reared up in in the Word of God, of course. But uh, he 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 was like a nursing mother. Now, can you imagine the Apostle Paul now coming forth and saying? This is what a, a steward is. This is what a servant is. He bows down. He gets on the level with the people. And it takes time. If you have babies, if you have infants, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes a lot of care for those children because they don't do anything but sleep and go to the bathroom, right? And these infants, that's what Paul is doing. He didn't turn his converts over to babysitters, but he, he made sacrifices for them. He cared for them in, himself there. So night and day, for however long it was, he, he was there uh, helping them. And he, he, where he says in verse 8 too, 
it would be where he wasn't just ready to share the gospel, but share himself. I mean, to me, that's the mark of the true servant. That's amazing. And this is the Apostle Paul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees who had all this knowledge and there he is with these infants of Thessalonica. Thessaloniki? Thessalonica? A nursing mother. That's amazing that Paul would compare himself to a nursing mother. Well, um, that shows you how sensitive that he was to personal needs. He was very tender. He knows where he knows where the tender spots are. And he can glance at those and he knows where there can be dangers. And so there's there's no dominance there of, of his apostleship. There's no seeking of honor. Mothers are not seeking for honor, are they? Um they're not doing this to get noticed. They have to give up a lot of time and a lot of effort. And uh, it kind of makes me think of Rebecca, what she's having been done in the last week or two with uh, all the kids who have had uh, sicknesses and even serious sickness. I don't know how many know, but uh, uh, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, if you've heard of that, Malachi has that. Yes. And... Um, Anyway, um, we don't. There's a lot of other things going on there. Whelps and that kind of thing, and um, breathing problems. Uh, at any rate, there's three different kids that are having those. Rocky Mountain spotted fever, whelps, and asthma. That's three different kids. And trying to take care of them and Justin. Yeah, justice. Justice. This time, but. Uh, boy, does that take time? She was worn out. She yeah. wasn't sleeping. She couldn't sleep. Not during the day and not during day, the night. night. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. You think about that, boy. That, that reminds you there. If you, if, but your mother, you you have to do There's these things. I just throw this in there because it came to mind while you were talking about caring for a, a child, and they just eat and uh, go to the bathroom. That that reminds me of like in orphanages and such where they feed them, they might keep them clean, but if they don't care for them, if they don't give them some attention, there's there's that, uh, it's called failure to thrive. Mm-hmm. The children don't know, mm-hmm. they don't even their, their physical body, even if they're getting all the right food and everything, they literally they don't grow as tall or anything else because right. of the physically well, not having that attention. Children in the orphanages in Russia who um, they eventually quit crying because they know nobody answers their cries, right. so they don't cry. And then when they get adopted, they have that attachment disorder where they can't bond with anybody. That's the way that little boy that um, Debbie adopted. Alexi. If they'd have had him longer, that he would have been like that because when they first got him, he wouldn't look at him. Yeah. Because they just put him in his crib all the time and nobody picked him up. But she got him really early. She got him at like nine months. So. That was good, yeah. Well, you guys are putting out some good illustrations because there are a lot of people who like to get people saved, but they just leave them there. They don't give them anything to grow on. They leave them as babies, and that's in, in the ones in the churches where you have true Christians. Mm-hmm. But 
they're babies. They're still ba- they have never grown up. That's sad because they haven't had the depth there. And Paul brought in truth, and that's why I say these illustrations you guys are bringing out. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. And thank you guys because, especially you know, being women, you have even more of a sensitive feeling, you know, of, of knowing about um, you know little kids and, and and knowing the needs, and and you just don't abandon them. You know, you you have to stay with them. Uh, of course, in this sense, we know that Paul had to leave, but God's Holy Spirit was there, and there was somebody that Paul would make sure that that would get there. You know, that that would come in there. I'm sure. Yeah, so. what's funny about that is I was just talking to Ed when he was down here last time, and he he likes to spread the word and everything, and he says, and, and that's all I and that's all I have to do. And I said, No, Ed, you can't just do that. <laughs> you can't just tell him that and then you know think that. That's all. That's all you have to do. There's more to it. You got to bring them along now. Right. You got to help raise them, mm-hmm. and that's and that is what Paul is is talking about here exactly. It's just well, right on. With somebody who a good spiritual mentor or something, maybe that's not your strong point. Make sure you hook them up with somebody who can. Well, that's that. what I told them too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Galatians four nineteen. Uh, in in Galatians four nineteen, uh, Paul writes there. Remember this; these are the Galatians. Remember the the legalism and everything that had come in there, and he was preaching the gospel of grace, and they had turned back to uh, this legalism, the law, and circumcision and everything. And he says, "My children." <laughs> There's a great illustration. My children, with whom I am again in labor, in labor. <laughs> Until Christ is formed in you, I, you know, really care for you. I want you to be able to grow. I want you to be like Christ. That Christ is formed in you. I like that Christ is formed in you. So uh, I think that's a super picture there uh, of a mother. Um, he was once in labor to give them birth, right? And and of course, you know, he, him being a spiritual father, or in this case, a spiritual mother, he would be. Um, he's almost in labor again. He's saying to bring them to spiritual t- maturity. That means, you know, he. I, I know the ladies know what labor means, and that's pretty hard stuff, right? And he labored even after that to keep on to make sure that they would grow right. So, so even there, he views himself as a mother. And, and we go back to Thessalonians, and he says, tenderly cares. It literally means to warm with body heat. It's like taking up you the infant. Nursing. You said nursing, and the whole thing about nursing in a bottle, a bottle you can shove in a baby's mouth and put a pillow or something, but nursing mm. takes a lot of time from that mom to let that baby get You can't go food. off and do something else. Yeah, it takes during of time to let that baby get enough food to eat before you can go on with what you're doing. So it's intently a long time of feeding that child. It's not a quick... Right. There's a nurturing that goes with this, the cradling, right. the way they're held. Right. And, yeah. Know. How much does that mean to that child? Mm-hmm. That, to see your face Huge. and to learn reactions. Yeah. I mean, the God time. designed everything just yeah. the way... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, nursing so is not just feeding. Contact, there's a whole... Yeah. Facial expression. Yeah. So Very good. Time, endurance. Mothers can relate to this real easy, can't you? <laughs> and if you're taking care of kids, right? If you you know those 
That's exactly what that's what Paul is is hitting right on. And when he's using this word, that's exactly what he's saying. And and it also you might have the translation cherish. That's the same thought: tenderly caring or cherishing the little one in the arms, uh, warms the life with her own body and all that goes with that. It's passing on life uh, to the one. I, I think of First Peter chapter two. Uh, this is how one does it spiritually. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. That's, and he's already talked about along that same lines. And envy and all slander, like newborn babies, like newborn babies or infants, long for the pure milk of the Word. Just like them, you long for the pure milk of the Word. So that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. You have salvation, but you grow in that. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, or the gentleness of the Lord, of His Word, tasting and eating and partaking of it, making that part of you. So, uh, milk. The mother eats the food. It's transformed into milk. For the baby, that's an incredible thing, isn't it? You really think about it. A mature Christian will feed on the Word of God and will share its nourishment with young younger believers. We will share the Word of God. You get along uh, along with a, a, a brand new believer or somebody that doesn't know the Lord as long as you have or as much as what you have, and you give them so they can grow. They're all, and they're always hungry, you know. Babies are always hungry, right? And so, you know, we want to wet that palate so they want more. Um, tenderly cares for her own children, her own children. You notice that? It's a lot easier to care for your own and rather than just somebody else as a hireling. Having so fond an affection, the word affection is to long for someone. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased. We were really pleased to impart to you the gospel of God. The good news. Well pleased to impart the gospel. Um, but also our own lives. There's This is all sacrifice. Giving of ourselves. Because you had become very dear to us. God had made them... Paul was willing to give not only the gospel, but his own life as well. The door is always open, right? His love for the Thessalonians was so great, he would even die for them if that's what it called for. What, you know, it talks about a, you know, a, a true friend will lay down his life. Um, so, that is what Paul thinks of the ministry. And, uh, of course, he has spoken about who they are. And you read chapter 1, and you can see why they were the way they were. Because Paul showed genuine Christianity by living it out and being that gentle uh, one with also bringing forth truth. Amazing, huh? Listen. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Um, next time we are in Thessalonians chapter 2 there, what we'll deal with is the rest of the family that contributes to the growth of Christians.
to make us all mature. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your truth. And it is amazing. What an honor it is to see such a one as an Apostle Paul show the humility that You have given him as he cares for the ones who You care for and how You want them fed and to be nurtured, to be cherished, to be taken care of, and just to, to be held, to be gentle, compassionate, and to be so they can be strong in the truth of the Word of God. To give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.